Hi, I'm Mitch. And I'm Mel. This is Policy Talks. Welcome to Policy Talks. In this episode, we'll be examining Canada's innovation agenda, identifying what innovation really means on a fundamental level, and analyzing the actions being taken to make Canada a more innovative country. In 2016, the Liberal government set aside $800 million over four years for innovation. Subsequently, the government developed an innovation agenda, which is intended to build, quote, a better Canada so that everyone has the job skills and learning to solve global challenges and strengthen communities. The policy focus on innovation was reiterated in last month's federal budget, which featured investments in skills and innovation as a means to building a strong middle class. So when we assess these uh, investments in innovation, naturally, the, the, the questions become, what are the implications of this policy focus on innovation? And how will Canada become more innovative? To help us answer these questions, we're pleased to be joined by Paul Dufour, a fellow and adjunct professor at the Institute for Science, Society, and Policy in the University of Ottawa, and science policy principal with PolicyWorks in Gatineau, Quebec. He's on the board of directors of the Graduate Student-Led Science Policy Exchange based in Montreal and is a member of the Investment Committee for Grand Challenges Canada. He lectures regularly on science policy and has authored numerous articles on international science and technology relations and Canadian innovation policy. Professor Four, thank you very much for joining us this evening. You're welcome. Uh, so I'd like to just kind of jump right in. When we talk about Canada's innovation agenda, this word innovation, it can kind of come across to some as a bit of a buzzword. So right off the bat, would you be able to kind of give us an explanation of what, when people use the term innovation, what exactly are they describing? Uh, it's many things to many people, sad to say, uh, unfortunately. So uh, there's no real one definition. If you're talking to people in the business sector, private sector, usually they're referring to the development of uh, a product or process that uh, changes the nature of um, some 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 particular item or some particular uh, uh, product. So that's one way to look at it. Another one is you know innovation can be uh, seen as um, a creative you know process by which um, structures, organizations, institutions can be changed or move along. Then there's a more recent one, which is being used uh, increasingly, and that's uh, dealing with inclusive innovation, um, the use of new technologies to basically strengthen your society and your economy, and particularly in the digitally, digital technologies, for example, are a good case of that. Uh, so there, there's no simple uh, definition of innovation, sad, sadly, and uh, people tend to sort of uh, use it uh, to their own purposes and known needs. Going back to what you just said about looking at innovation as a product, mm -hmm. are there any risks or dangers to thinking of technological innovation as a kind of indisputable commercial good? Uh, when you say risks, or uh, I'm not sure I quite followed that question. What do you mean by risks? Uh, 
are there is there anything that could come across wrong if we perceive innovation to be this product that we are for sure going to be receiving once investing in in innovation no i don't think uh you know i don't think that's that's the a big issue the the bigger issue is uh, what happens to this innovation and how does it change or affect society good example is uh this increasing intention to an interest in artificial intelligence and the recent investment of the federal government in uh, a new strategy to strengthen canada's um, assets and creativity in the area of inte- artificial intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's various aspects to that. One is the developing the, the products or the uh, the technologies associated with artificial intelligence. The other part of it is what are the negative, I wouldn't say negative, but what are the ethical, social, legal issues associated with introducing that kind of technology, right? And how do people respond to the new technology? Those are just as important as the actual introduction of the product, right? And do you think that enough focus is being placed on some of these concerns or some of these these issues? Um, I think, you know, there's an attempt to try to uh, uh, be aware of that, yes. Uh, I think there is a, uh, there's a lot of attention being paid to what the, uh, the social impacts of that new technology. Another good example, by the way, is genomics research, right? Uh-huh. The ability of, uh, of researchers to now do editing of genes to change the, you know, the performance of particular characteristics slash traits um, in uh, animals or um, other, or humans for that matter. And so there's a whole issue associated with that around what are, you know, if you're going to be tested um, by a a diagnostic test to see if you have a particular condition, pre-existing condition based on the analysis of your genomics, and that shows that you have a possibility of having a certain mutation in those genes, which would lead to a certain disease. You know, the question then is, um, do, do you tell that person, and what does that person do with that information, and on what basis do they make a decision as to whether or not they want to um, do something about a, a condition that may appear later on in their lives, right? So this is a big issue right now in uh, the genomics world, hmm. particularly as we uh, try to modify um, our genetic structures, right, or try to eliminate certain mutations that cause diseases or cause um, issues associated with our uh, functioning of our body or whatever. Shifting back to the broader concept of innovation. I know you've mentioned that there are many interpretations and many definitions depending on who is defining it. Um, What do you think, though, that the federal government means when it says that it wants to make Canada a more innovative country? How do you perceive that? Well, I think the the message is clear from looking at the agenda that was proposed by the government that that, uh, the private sector, the business sector in this country... Uh, needs to be a much more active, much more um, engaged in uh, strengthening its knowledge capabilities to be able to produce innovation or technological products or processes or breakthroughs or whatever you want to call them. Uh, so I think that's the message in the budget. Uh, clearly, has been that the private sector, in partnership, of course, with other organizations, uh, including colleges and universities, 
to uh, move forward and become a, a more of a global leader in a number of specific areas where Canada has some strengths. Canada has some weaknesses, but it also has some strengths. And I think this innovation agenda is designed to try to in- increase um, the funding and the, the, the support for areas where we're very good, and uh, we should you know, be pushing that, that envelope. And in, in, I guess, selling the innovation agenda, the, the federal government has been tying this idea of Canada as a more innovative country being a kind of opening the gateway to better or greater economic growth. Um, how, do, how do those two concepts reconcile with, e- with each other? How does a, a more innovative Canada or how does investment in innovation actually translate to economic growth that can be felt by the average Canadian? Well, in, in the development of, of, of new pro- products or processes that make a difference, right, uh, in, in the economy. Right? So we have some global leaders in, in a number of, of, of sectors in this country. Uh, our aerospace industry, for example, our auto parts industry, our um, resources, oil and gas uh, industry. These are all areas where Canada has invested heavily in, in the past and allows us to uh, compete globally around the world for markets uh, for those products, which then, of course, return back to Canada in the form of uh, you know, various investments of different kinds, so either through purchases of, of, uh, of subsidiaries or companies uh, in the country or through the products that are being sold. So that's how it, you know, it, it impacts directly on the, the society and the economy and the Canadian public at large. Why is it that you think that there's this focus right now on innovation? Why this moment? Uh, well, there's a lot of data that shows uh, that Canada has been uh, lagging globally. If you look at the various proxies for the data, um, you know, investment in research and development by our private sector is woefully thin. Uh, investment uh, by governments in uh, the, the partnership uh, programs that are associated with bringing together the knowledge or the companies to use, has been weak. Um, Canada is losing a bit of its edge with other countries uh, in certain areas where we used to be a very strong competitor. And uh, some of that was demonstrated today in the uh, release of this report by the David Naylor Expert Panel on Fundamental Science in Canada, where there's some concern that we're not investing in the the seed corn that's required for con- countries to have if you're going to move ahead and develop the technology that falls from the research and the knowledge that you're investing in. So uh, there's a lot of data that shows that um, Canada has been losing its uh, its ground in a number of areas and uh, that there needs to be a, uh, a stronger look, a more integrated approach to how we respond to this threat or, you know, you can call it an opportunity, but a lot of people see it as a threat. Um, and this is hence the innovation agenda, hence the, 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 the need to support fundamental research to allow for development of uh, tech breakthroughs down the road, you know, which may or may not lead to new technological products or processes for Canada. So then from a policy perspective, if, if this is so critical for so many reasons, the question that comes to my mind is why has this been left? Why, why has innovation not been a priority I guess, in, in, in previous governments. Why have we allowed certain areas to lapse? Uh, obviously, budgeting is, is a bit of a zero-sum game, depending on who you ask. So 
Is there a universal belief that innovation investment is important, or is this more of a liberal focus as opposed to perhaps a conservative focus? No, I mean, all, all, I mean yeah, no, I mean, all governments are, 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 are for progress, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what the stripe is. All governments uh, would support progress, right? And, and uh, so that's not an issue. Uh, the issue is the emphases that's given, right? So another Harper regime administration, the, the focus was, you know, science powers commerce, that was the, the mantra. Um, but, of course, uh, science doesn't just power commerce. It does other things. It contributes to your culture, contributes to your knowledge, uh, your knowledge base, and so on. Uh, this government, the liberal government, believes that, uh, you know, science has a strong role to play in, in all of society. It's an important dimension to our climate change um, capabilities. It's important to what we do in the, in the north, in the Arctic. It's important what we do in the social sciences, um, the humanities to strengthen our our communities. These are all kinds of things that this government has felt that it's important to focus on, and they've also, of course, uh, picked uh, pick is a strong word, but they've selected uh, some areas where they think Canada can grow uh, its excellence, particularly around, for example, agriculture, clean technologies, those advanced manufacturing, uh, and as I mentioned earlier, artificial intelligence. So those are areas that are being, you know targeted with presumably investments from the private sector and, and um, the knowledge and the human, the human talent and the gray matter that comes out of our colleges and universities. Are there any lessons that we can take from the approach that the ASEAN countries have uh, used to push in innovative economy as they grow very rapidly? Uh, well, there are, yeah, of course, we, we like to look at uh, comparators uh, around the world, and uh, that's not uncommon. And uh, you'll, you'll find in this uh, the report that I mentioned earlier from David Naylor a lot of comparisons about where Canada stands. And on the innovation front, again, uh, where Canada stands. So the Asian economies are moving quickly. Um, China, of course, is seen as one of the uh, major movers in this area. It's going to overtake uh, it's going to overtake the U.S. in about five, ten years from now in, in total spending on research and development. Um, so it's uh, it is a c- concern uh, for some people that while we're standing still, other countries are moving ahead. Singapore is another good example where um, there's a very strong uh, long-term long-term plan with lots of funding uh, to move this forward. So yeah, we look at those carefully. Uh, culture, of course, matters. So some economies around the world have a very uh, dirigist, uh, you know, led policies with long-term visions, and the Chinese are very good at that. Singapore, is, you know, its vision is led by its, its leader. Chinese, of course, as well. So when you have a very strong vision that's communicated to all of your society, all parts of your society, uh, it's not it's understandable that you will, um, you know, uh, eventually get the message, (laughs) and uh, move forward, right, and invest. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more with Professor Dufour on implementing innovation in Canada.
You're listening to Policy Talks Podcast, recorded at CKCU 93.1 FM. For more, go to www.policytalkspodcast.com. Professor Dufour, uh, I'd like to transition the conversation now um, into more of a discussion of actually implementing innovation. And so, you know, mm-hmm. Be- mm-hmm. Uh, just prior, you were talking about comparatively what other countries are doing and the importance of evaluating that. Looking now here in, in Canada, and we've just um, had Budget 2017 uh, recently released, uh, and I have a note here of a few highlights from the budget that are specifically mm-hmm. addressing innovation, and I'll just list them here. There's four of them. Innovation Canada, $950 million over five years to support business-led superclusters. Uh, $400 million over three years for a new venture capital catalyst initiative. Uh, $125 million to launch a pan-Canadian artificial intelligence strategy. $50 million over two years for initiatives to teach children how to code. That's just a sampling of what's right. in, in Budget 2017 with regards to investment and innovation. Um, but I'd like your perspective on any of those or others that you're aware of, other initiatives within, within the budget. Um, how exactly will this impact the Canadian economy in the coming years? Well, I mean, uh, the investments are over uh, X period of, of years, right? So uh, a number of those uh, initiatives that you just mentioned are over five years you know, or eight years. And so uh, you're not going to see the results of, uh, of those uh, projects uh, impacting immediately. Nature, you know, research by nature is, is of a long-term, uh, has a long-term focus, right? And so mm-hmm. you, have to, you have to be very patient. And you have to continue to invest, not just, uh, you know, do, do this kind of a faucet approach. You know, you turn it on, turn it off, turn exactly. it on, turn it off. I mean, knowledge doesn't work that way. And investing in knowledge uh, is certainly um, something that needs to be continually uh, invested in uh, to make that difference. So the number of uh, those sectors, uh, initiatives that you've mentioned, were uh, areas that uh, government feels that uh, Canada can make it, you know, uh, show some results, I'll put that in quotes, uh, down the road. I don't think they're arguing that we're going to come up with some impacts of, of these results immediately. Um, or even within the lifetime of the government, right? And that's what governments need to understand, is if they're going to invest in knowledge, you have to understand that it's going to take, you know, years before you get any results, if you get any at all. Because, you know, science and research and technology are risk ventures, and, you know, a lot of it fails along the way. Some of it works. When it does work, you may get breakthroughs, like, you know, we had with research in motion, or, mm-hmm. you know, which turned into BlackBerry, which turned into, well, something else right now. But uh, those were breakthrough um, uh, technologies that uh, were, were led by uh, very visionary private sector leaders who, who saw uh, niche market and capabilities based on fundamental science and said, hey, let's uh, move this forward and see where it goes. Um, so I think, you know, governments uh, of all stripes, right, um, know they have to take risks. Uh, these are investments. They're not spending. They're investments. By definition, therefore, they may not uh, end up to be having immediate economic uh, returns. So you've said that we may not know for many years what the result of any of these investments are. In your opinion, is there any one or two of these investments that you see as having the greatest potential, as yielding the most positive results? 
Well, you know, we already have um, uh, uh, the basis around which we can build quote-unquote clusters, right? They're calling them super clusters, but, you know, they're clusters of, uh, of intense activity, um, knowledge, research, universities, etc., uh, based in, uh, throughout the country that, uh, you know, are, are being driven by, by the way, not just federal funding. Provincial governments, of course, support this, um, as do cities, uh, municipalities. So uh, there's a number of areas where we're very good. Um, the one that's always cited and often cited is, is the Institute for Theoretical Physics um, in Waterloo, along with the Institute for Quantum Computing, um, where Canada has, you know, uh, a world-class capability. And, uh, you know, the government's continuing to invest in those. An emerging area, which I've mentioned earlier, where the government saw a niche, was around in artificial intelligence, and they picked this organization called CIFAR, okay, in, uh, Institute for Advanced Research, to uh, put this plan together around capabilities that exist already in Quebec, Ontario, Alberta, and uh, bring it all together and uh, you know uh, leverage leverage that that those assets. So there, that's you know that's an area where, and we have facilities. Uh, elsewhere in government labs, government agencies that can also contribute to all this, or National Research Council, for example. Um, and uh, the idea is to try to pull all that together, get them talking to each other, and coordinating a, a large scale, larger scale approach to this through these so-called superclusters. And private sector, of course, would, can play a role in artificial intelligence. The banks, RBC, Toronto Dominion, are already extremely engaged in this. They're very interested in it. And they're funding it. So, you know, that's a good sign that uh, it's not just the governments that are putting in money. Private sector as well sees this as an opportunity. Now, just for our listeners who haven't looked at the budget in detail, can you just clarify what a supercluster is? Oh, uh, well, it's a, an agglomeration. It's a, it's a you know, a, a composition of a, a series of, uh, of uh, research nodes, research Initiatives uh, uh, that exist in the in different parts of the country that um, will be brought together under a kind of plan or agenda in this case to move forward on a particular strategy dealing with a specific um, in technology or uh, research project. So, it'd be it advanced manufacturing or agricultural research, and we have these around the country that we're there. Different provinces have different strengths based on their geography, based on their history, based on the knowledge that they have in their universities and colleges, and so on. So, yeah, those are the ideas to bring all that together in some more strategic and focused way. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about items from, from the budget that given the long time frames, it's quite possible that the, the rewards won't be reaped until um, long after um, this uh, this current government, and in fact, um, just looking at the timelines, for sure, some of these investments go beyond the current um, sitting of Parliament. Right. Um, I guess my question is: Are there safeguards in place to protect these investments from possible changes in, in government priorities? Um, I know you mentioned the private sector, but in terms of of, of federal dollars or government investment. It seems to me that it would be such a waste to to contribute only so far and then and then have kind of that progress stalled by changing government priorities. Are there any safeguards to kind of uh, prevent that from happening? 
Uh, well, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the answer to that would be uh, it's called Parliament. And, um, you know, uh, Parliament, which is composed of all parties, um, you know, is also ultimately responsible as well for putting together, uh, helping to put together what the current sitting government feels are the specific priorities. So your elected representatives have uh, a role to play in um, making sure that certain things that it, uh, have some continuity uh, built into it that they feel are important to the country and to the economy. So that would be my my you know simple simple or simplistic answer. Uh, you know, yes, governments can of course change priorities, and they do. And uh, you know, funding in one particular area sometimes dries up because well, uh, government feels that's not their focus. Right? Mm-hmm. Let's change that. But that's where we have. That's why we have a parliament and we elect like our representatives. Their job, in particular, is to, you know, respond to their constituents' needs and gain public's interests and making sure that certain things continue as they see them as important. Right. So that would be my, you know, fairly straightforward uh, response to that. So last week, the federal government. 10 provinces, three territories got together on Friday in Toronto, as you probably know, and they Mm -hmm. unveiled the Canadian Free Trade Agreement. So that, as you know, is a deal that commits them to removing almost all internal barriers on trade. And this agreement was part of the innovation agenda. Why do you think this deal has taken so long to be unveiled, come together? And do you think CETA played a role in moving this agreement further along? Um... Maybe. Uh, my personal view is I think the two are not related. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, we, we've had problems in the past or challenges in the past with uh, government's uh, own approach to free trade. And um, I think um, the European Union uh, agreement, um, by the way, was a, was a very long process, you know, seven, eight years. I can't remember now how long it was before they actually, you know, uh, signed off on this. So, there was a lot, um, a lot of again past several governments, right, uh, to be able to negotiate this and move this forward. But you know we have our own interprovincial trade issues in this country. We've had these interprovincial trade issues longstanding. Uh, so I think the two are a little bit, you know, um, unrelated. The timing might have been interesting, but frankly, I'm not sure the timing was uh, was deliberate. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you see this this new Canadian free trade agreement in any way supporting any of these specific in- innovation-related budget items that either we listed off or that any that come to mind for you? Is this new free trade agreement, or excuse me, this new yeah, this new Canadian free trade agreement, is that a step in the right direction? Are you referring to the one with Europe? Yeah. Well, I was I was or, talk- or the one internal. I was talking about the internal one, but but yeah. The, the well, yeah, one. no, I, I think yeah. I mean, mostly that that deals with existing you know products and pro- you know products that. Are exchanged or goods that are exchanged across, you know, borders and so on. Uh, to the extent that the provincial and federal governments are talking together on issues that require um, a national approach, uh, this can easily spill over into, um, you know, uh, agreeing on other areas where uh, provincial territorial governments need the support of or would like the support of the federal government for some of their priorities, which would include innovation technology. So, yeah, I think you know there are some connections between the two. Um, this report that came out today again, the Naylor report, makes a point of saying that 
Canada needs to get its act together, federally, provincially, territorial, uh, around the issue of um, science and investing in science. Every province has its own research agenda with its own funding. And uh, we, de- we design pro- programs and policies sometimes that just uh, don't look at what's going on elsewhere in the country, never mind abroad. Um, and, you know, provinces are forced to respond accordingly. Um, it would be better if they were all at the same table at the same time designing in new programs and policies so that everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. In terms of, I guess, um, you know, taking artificial intelligence and putting that aside for a moment because we're not mm-hmm. necessarily quite there yet, um, uh, but in terms of, of human resource demands for uh, the, innovative, uh, the innovation agenda for this country, is there any concern about the demands that that would put on our population? Do we really have the capacity to support people renewing their education, focusing more on research in order to fulfill these demands of, of what would make Canada a more innovative economy? Right. So that's what the you know the innovation agenda and this fundamental science review both both uh, target the issue of skills, and learning, and uh, um, you know early career. Uh, researchers and, and the need to invest in people, right, um, and talent. So uh, both of them offer up uh, ideas, suggestions. Uh, the budget has made clear that uh, you know there's an opportunity here to uh, strengthen our uh, production of our highly qualified people uh, across the board, which, by the way, includes um, the whole issue around diversity of our talent. Um, so gender. Uh, equity issues, uh, which is a huge issue for this government, as well, of course, for uh, Indigenous education, Aboriginal populations being brought into the mainstream on this issue. Uh, in other words, we've got talent that's not necessarily being used the way it should be used. Uh, so these are critical issues if you're going to move forward um, into your, you know, the next uh, the next century for for this country and uh, make your mark globally. You need to have the talent, and you need to invest in it. And again, it has to be long term. Uh, even in tapping into perhaps these 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 new sources of of human capacity and maybe some underrepresented um, subsections of our population, given that we're such a large country, but we're, the population wise we are so we have so few people in this country r- r- relative to the size of this country, is there a concern that we just we may not have enough people, even if we invest in training, then we may not have ultimately enough qualified people simply because we're only 37 million or close thereof. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And, and, and this is why the government has been concerned about attracting foreign talent uh, and also why the government has been focused on um, um, making alterations to our immigration policy so that uh, we can benefit uh, from this talent abroad, not just within Canada, but elsewhere as well. You know, so making things easier for visa uh, applications for you know students uh, is one way of doing it. Uh, another way is uh, to, to brand Canada in our embassies and um, consulates around the world to say, hey, looking for a place to come and you know visit or and or study. Uh, Canada's got XXX um, programs and initiatives that can help you. That's the kind of thing that uh, our comparative countries around the world do in a very aggressive way. We've been trying to catch up, and I think, uh, given the small population base here, we need to certainly Im- improve that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we have a great opportunity right now because we've got, uh, you know, a, some strange 
things going on globally uh, that are uh, making Canada look kind of an interesting place, particularly south of the border right now. And with what's going on in the UK under Brexit and uh, in the European Union, um, you know, it's a window's open for Canada to demonstrate that we have fantastic opportunities here for, for students, for, you know, visiting scholars, for, you know, whoever. Um, come on, come on, come on over <laughs> uh, and bring your talent to our society, our economy. So we do have programs that do that. And the question is, can we ranch, ramp that up, given uh, the current uh, geopolitical context, which is changing rapidly? You know what, Professor DeFour, I think we will end on that optimistic tone. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we can come up with a better sales pitch to attract <laughs> smart people to I this wasn't country. paid for that. <laughs> we, uh, we, we thank you very much for providing your insight. Um, this is obviously, uh, as we ended, you touched on immigration. Um, innovation is, I think, so... It's just tied across the board. Everything is so integrated. Um, it's a it's it's a really meaty topic, um, and we thank you very much for for taking the time to speak with us about it today. Well, I, I thank you, and uh, and I wish you uh, bon courage in your uh, continued uh, ventures. Thanks very much. Merci beaucoup. Merci. Yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Policy Talks. Remember to visit us at policytalkspodcast.com and on Twitter at Policy Talks Pod for updates and related content. If you have any feedback, comments, or suggestions, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email or reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We'd also like to uh, give quick thanks to our research team who put this episode together. Eugene So, Cheta Ali, Juhi Soani, our technician Megan Boisjoli, and of course our producer Joe Venkatesh. Until next time, I'm Mitch. And I'm Mel. This is Policy Talks.